0: Hello, everybody. You got 24 people on live. We're going to hear a recap of your week. Adam Fell.
1: Adam Fell. And then we, um, we did, uh, started treating fracture last night when he got home from where he was. So his pain level is coming down. And so that was good. good. And then the reason I came screaming into the room at 359 was my cousin has a friend that is having a bilateral mastectomy and in two weeks and he sent me his custom care and magnetic converter that he's lending to her. She's an RN down in Bend and I just programmed it for her. And she's so the breast, the post-op breast breast, day one, two, three, seven, whatever, is for um, like a breast reconstruction or a lumpectomy. She's having a bilateral mastectomy with expanders put in at the time of the surgery. So it's not a three-hour mastectomy.
0: Right.
1: It's an eight-hour because after the general surgeons are done, the plastics guy comes in and puts the expanders in and begins the process of reconstruction. Right. So what I thought was going to be a 15 minute, let me program the basics. Then she said, they're having expanders. And for those of you that aren't familiar with that surgery, the expanders are plastic or something, and they stretch the skin to make room for the pocket that the implant's going to go into. The problem is that the expanders lay on the ribs and annoy the periosteum and the nerves that live in between the ribs. So I was about to just program it for them. And then she said, it's an eight hour surgery. And I found out they're expanders. So I had to remove the frequencies for mammary glands and ductal tissue and put in frequencies for periosteum and nerves. So that's, and then I explained to her and for everybody that's listening, if you're treating patients postoperatively after such an extensive surgery, they will often put patients on what's called PCA patient controlled anesthesia. So, it's um, a morphine pump that goes right into their IV, and they get to give themselves a bolus when they need it. It's time limited, so you can only give yourself a bolus every 15 or 20 minutes or whatever they set. But there's a baseline amount that's steady state per minute, per hour. And then you give yourself an extra boost when that isn't enough. So when somebody is on, is being treated postoperatively in the hospital and they're on a PCA, you have to tell the nurse that's setting up the PCA not to do a baseline. So this lady's a nurse, she knows what to say. And I said, so you need to tell them you're sensitive to opiates. So you don't want a baseline. Just set it up that you can do a bolus every 10 minutes if you need it. You won't need it. You're, you're going to know after an eight-hour surgery you've been beat up. But FSM will keep the pain down, and you won't need as much morphine. And if I'm correct, you probably won't bruise. And she just went, what? So I explained about hips and fractures and things where, yeah. So that's why I came in at 359.
0: Well, we made it. I'm glad you're here. (laughs) I know I got this. I was sitting, I was sitting and waiting. I didn't come that much earlier either because it's, um, it's a weird Wednesday before Christmas. So it's, you know, having the holidays on the weekend just kind of throws me for a loop. So I took most of this week off except for people that I could not take off. And it's been a weird, um, it's been a weird week. I'm not sure. I'm not yeah. sure what it is. I have a couple fun things planned for today though, because okay. it is a couple of days before Christmas.
1: You always do.
0: <laughs> well, I try my best. There is a couple questions that came in. I see there's already one on the chat. So we're going to try to intersplice all the fun stuff with all the knowledge stuff as well. Okay. Um, having, having this week, um, a little bit more free time to, um, relax mm-hmm. in air quotes, I was looking on Facebook for our practitioner um, forum. How much time do you spend on there yourself? Probably not as much as.
1: I used to go on. That used to be the last thing I did every night before bed. Okay. And. um, As a recovering workaholic. um, I'm not allowed to do that anymore. Good. So I check it randomly in the daytime. I'm. I allow myself, it's not like anybody else tells me, but I allow myself to check it um, just before I start eating dinner. And then I'm required to, by myself, as a recovering workaholic, I'm required to watch something non-medical, fun, while I eat dinner and for 60 minutes afterwards before I go and turn my computer on or check anything and then so no I haven't been the short version is I haven't been on Facebook so what are they talking about in there
0: well, I also don't spend a ton of time on social media. I post, um, but I don't read. Again, I used to just get way too worked up over, over things, and it was way too time consuming. So I kind of threw a shot out there. I would replied to somebody. We talked about the person um, a little bit last week who had the um, acute rib fracture and was oh, treating yeah. it with chronic And so that actually spewed a lot of really great questions that I got emailed um, and a lot of gratitude for talking about the stages of healing, because Uh. I think that can really help navigate people when we're stuck. Like, what is it? What's wrong? If you can just start off with what stage are we in right now? And it's very rare that we are in a chronic state. We're usually in this um, new injury acute phase or it's a flare up of something that's chronic, but it's really not chronic.
1: It's acute. It's all almost always acute on chronic. And especially uh, in musculoskeletal conditions, they have facets, they have discs, their back goes out. So it's always acute on chronic. So in the core, the chronic low back pain I just blow right past it because you're you're never going to see it. I ran it on David, Dr. Simons. um, And that worked for him because his back always hurt. Mm -hmm. And that was easy for him. And he never made it worse because it was sort of permanently worse, but he was 82. So, right. Right. Everybody else that we see it's acute on chronic. The one exception to that is visceral conditions. Mm. So somebody's had irritable bowel for 18 years. It's still irritable bowel unless they've had surgeries and you have to dissolve scar tissue. Right. It's the same irritable bowel if they've had it for 17 years or if they've had it for six months, right? It's the, it's the same, same thing with asthma or kidney or liver the visceral conditions, I mean, except for liver fibrosis. So,
0: right. Right. Um, I was kind of going in two different directions with that story just now, but going back to Facebook really quick, there seems to be a lot of really good critical thinking questions on there. Right. And I think that's what, what we wanted to have that forum for, Exactly. but I still see a lot of like recipe searchers what's the frequency for this how do we do that so um,
1: those are going to be the people who either took the course 10 years ago or they took a course from someone who's not me or you um or they're not problem solvers their brains don't work that way or they don't have time so they either don't think that way they want to be able to push a button leave the room that's not how you and i roll right there are so there is a recipe you can use just a recipe and you have to be prepared for the fact that it's only going to work 50 percent of the time
0: so that was what I was going to ask you. What for those people who a don't have the bandwidth to troubleshoot or desire, right. <laughs> um, and I get it. Some people are in really busy practices. So I think of all the chiropractors um, that have already busy practices, especially that come to the sports course. You know, after an hour in, they're just like you know, arms crossed, rolling their eyes and. Like what's wrong? And I used to take it so personally. Like I'm not teaching this. It's just that that model doesn't fit their practice, right? So if you're used to seeing a patient every six minutes, um, this probably isn't something that you're going to stick your sink your teeth into. But perhaps having an assistant or having, you know, you integrate somebody else into your practice who.
1: Rocky Martino is the best model we have for taking, he's got to ha- he has to have one of the busiest chiropractic practices in the country. And his model is his patients are prepared before he ever sees them. They know what to expect twice a week for four to six weeks to fix this. He does the intake, his history, he's already has the history before the patient walks in the door. He spends his 15 minute new patient history, physical, whatever. And then they move on to a room that is specifically designed for FSM. So he doesn't do the FSM. Right. The other, so that's for the six minute chiropractor or the 30 minute PT. Mm -hmm. The solution for the people that have 20 to 30, 30 minutes is kind of a minimum the solution for them is multiple machines. Mm I was talking to somebody about that last night, that if you only have 30 minutes, it's tricky because there are some protocols like relaxing the legs and 81 and 10 and 40 and 10. That takes 60 minutes. Sciatica takes 60 minutes. They don't need your presence. They just take up space. Mm -hmm. so christy hughes used to have a a room with four recliners in it and um end tables next to each recliner with an auto care and in this in this world we would do it with a custom care that was programmed for that patient and you just park them in the chair and you run irritable bowel or 81 and 10 or 40 and 10, or you can have two custom cares and run both reduce the pain and reduce the spasticity and increase secretions in vagal tone. Ehlers-Danlos 60 minutes. So you do 40 and 10, you do torn and broken in the connective tissue, and then you run neck to pelvis, do concussion and vagus. And all of that takes 60 minutes you park them in a chair and they come in once a week and they pay you $150. What's bad about that? The machines pay for themselves in about two months. And so I'm now looking at my, my clinic has doors. It's like, I'll take pictures. They got hung up because of the door guy, but uh, it'll be finished and the signs will be up. And I'll take pictures and do show and tell on Facebook, probably. But so that's how the, the clinic is set up. Each room has two precision cares and auto care and two custom cares. Right. And it's and we've got five rooms. Right. So. I-
0: I think something that maybe we we need to do a better job talking about maybe in the core and sports or the dance or somewhere is just this planning. And maybe the word planning is circulating in my head because it's Christmas and I'm planning for food and presents and blah. So the the patients where, or the people that I see on Facebook, um, the practice, so this is obviously practitioner based who are looking for, um, almost looking for an answer before the patient even comes in the door. Um, and so I, I think, I think for me, um, and I get it, it can be scary and it can be time consuming. I think the learning comes from not just asking the universe for, for the answers, but for sitting with the patient and being present and trying your own hypothesis. Because for me, that's where the learning Really takes place. And that's where I saw my successes go up is when I sat with the patient. And I think like this is the you're welcome. Then the I'm sorry part is we have so many practitioners that do FSM from different scopes of practice. So I think for practitioners that are listening, you have to be super careful what you're asking on that Facebook forum because that could be totally outside of your scope and you're not expected to know these things. So like the naturopaths will talk about mold and lime and gut problems and the PTs are talking about fractures and concussion and vestibular. And you, you have to sit with it yourself with your own mileage, I think. And that's where the fun stuff is.
1: Well, and for, for me, the fun, Fun stuff is following the chain back. So I can't remember the situation. It was, it's a, oh, I it was the person that I'm leasing the clinic from. They came by to just look at the build out and see how things were going. And he said, um, How do you do with diabetic neuropathy? And it's like, Well, that's easy. And he said, are you serious? And I yeah, that's just not that hard. The real question is, so I can treat your diabetic neuropathy. That's park in a chair, set up the sticky pads, punch a button, cover you with a blanket, let you fall asleep. Or that's so the diabetic neuropathy is easy. The real question is what started it? You wouldn't have any insulin dependent type two the vagus nerve controls sugar release from the liver and the vagus nerve is turned off by infection, stress, and trauma. So fixing your neuropathy is easy, but it's like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic makes you feel good, but it doesn't change the outcome. So I can treat your neuropathy. That's easy, but to influence your diabetes, you go back, when did it start? Infection, stress, or trauma? He said, I know exactly when it started. My wife got pregnant. She got in an auto accident, almost lost the baby. And it was, and he, you could see it in his face. And I said, okay, that was it. So then we'll turn your treat your vagus, turn it back on. And then he said, and then my legs are so tight. And I went, your legs are tight. And he said, yeah, and that restricts the circulation down on my feet. Okay. Did you do sports? Yeah. And I said, if you press here on your neck, does that hurt? He said, ow. And I said, do you have pain in between your shoulder blades? He said, yeah, there's this ache. It's, it's a rib or something. It's like, no, your tight legs are being caused by the disc in your neck that you injured when you are doing mountain biking and that's the pain in between your shoulder blades. So we treat the tight legs, we turn on the vagus, and then treating your diabetic neuropathy is easy. And I literally, I don't have to put my hands on him for any of it. And I never touched him. He's leaning in the doorway with his hands in his pocket, talking to me infection, stress, or trauma points you at the vagus. Then he said, tight legs, tight legs. We get rid of with 81 and 10, but what causes the tight legs, the disc injury. So there's 81 and 10 there's diabetic neuropathy. There's treating the vagus and he's, and I said, and then there's a fourth machine on you from your neck to your chest to treat the disc. And so I'll see you twice a week for probably four weeks the tight legs will go away the disc will get better the diabetic neuropathy will get better your insulin resistance will get better and you'll end up buying a custom care so that you can treat yourself at home and don't need me and he just sat there with his mouth open cuz it was like it's so obvious once you have enough mileage the other thing i think that happens with new people is they want to be good at it off yes, the right. of line yesterday it's like there's no reason that you should be no why why would you expect that of yourself right for me it's obvious because i've been doing like 81 and 10 for eight years Mm -hmm. and to recognize it's all pattern recognition Mm -hmm. so what does the vagus nerve have to do with diabetes and diabetic neuropathies glucose from the liver why would you know that if you haven't watched the Vegas webinar and you didn't pay attention to that one slide where I talk about that? Right. So you go back and you watch the Vegas webinar, and around the fourth time you watch it, then the liver shows up in your in your vision. Right. So it's it's pattern recognition and putting it all together. And because I've been doing it for 25 years and I've literally made more mistakes than any of you can possibly make. Now it's like, well, duh. Right. I make it sound simple, but it's not fair. <laughs> no, There's, it's not. No, it's not fair. It's There's not no fair. reason. It should be simple for somebody that just started three months ago.
0: Right. I think for me, one of the things to help overwhelmed people, practitioners too is you still have you don't have to solve it in day one you know like we talk about solving cases and closing cases and you know that's what after after you create those those miracles in one treatment you get greedy and you're like I'm going to do this every day and they're going to come in once and I'm going to fix them and that's great but it's not realistic for anybody you know Once
1: a week for four to six weeks
0: right and, and there's still patients, I'm sure, that stump you after all this time. It's never going to be like a slam dunk. But again, if you can just get their pain down. So I'll say, you know, how you say, my goal is to not make you worse today. Um, we all have our own phrases. I'll say to new patients, my goal is to make a dent in this pain today. You know, so, and then when they do get a dent in it, it does drop, even if it's from, you know, a five to a three, that's great. And you didn't make them worse. And there's hope and there's stuff. So um, for the practitioners out there stop panicking. And maybe it's that time of year where we're all just like kind of fed up and it's like, there's a lot going on and there's some anxiety or I don't know what there is, but that was kind of what I gathered off of Facebook over the last 48 hours. And um, I wanted to kind of address that um, and talk about planning. One thing before we get into, I see some of the questions in the chats are coming up. I had two people email me about this um, over the week, about 18 on channel A. And this kind of transitions to our stages of healing conversation that we were having. So this one PT had written in, this was fabulous stages of healing that really helped me. So does that mean after an acute injury, we never have to use 18?
1: It, dep- it depends on what you're doing. Okay. So this- So
0: for, for the lay people listening, 18 on our A channel is stopping um, hemorrhaging or stop the bleeding
1: and you're the lady the, for post-operative, the first day you run stop bleeding for almost 60 minutes. You run it 20 minutes at a time, three times during a two hour protocol. Second day you run it 20 minutes at a time, 10, 20 minutes at a time twice. And the third day you run it 20 minutes at a time once the amount of bleeding is directly related to how soon the injury was. So when Adam was in so much acute pain last night from the fractures, I touched his skin in the front and the skin in the front was hypersensitive. The fractures are in the back, but the skin in the front is hypersensitive. Bleeding causes inflammation, inflammation from a fracture, bleeding from a fracture. The intercostal space is very narrow and there's a nerve that runs around to the front. So if the skin in the front is hypersensitive, there's inflammation in the nerve, but the thing that causes inflammation in the nerve is the bleeding. So I went and reprogrammed the fracture protocol and ran stop bleeding for 20 minutes right up in front. And that took his pain down. The other place you're going to need stopping bleeding is when you're taking apart scar tissue or working on like the axilla and you're peeling nerves away from fascia. Every nerve has little capillaries that feed it. And if your pokey thumb gets too pokey, and if you don't wait, and you actually tear a little, just a little hole in a little capillary, the pain is going to go from a three or four up to a five or a six. it's like, ow, that's really sore. Oops. That's why you want a precision care so you can run or, and you can run back to do 18 and 62. It takes two or three minutes to stop the bleeding. If you have a custom care, you always have some place in your list of things that are programmed as single frequency combinations. You always have the frequency to stop the bleeding because when you're taking apart scar tissue, it's going to happen. Exactly. Not very often, but it's gonna. For sure. Like you said, you get greedy. You want to, you know, better.
0: You can't help yourself sometimes.
1: Rush, rushing
0: you're rushing. Um, sometimes you can even get caught up with patients. They're like, Oh yeah, press harder. And it's like, no, I know you're used to this because this is all you've ever like had was someone's elbow in your piriformis, but we don't, we don't do that anymore. (laughs) So, um, that's kind of what I had written back. Not so quickly. I kind of rambled, but I was saying, um, for people who are doing manual therapy, I'll have, those one-liners on my custom care for like a post-op treatment. So um, post-appointment with me, let's say we're doing a ton of manual therapy. Um, you can have them outside of your clinic, just running a little bit of 18 and 62 as like that little vacuum that just helps kind of like suck up the, the stuff that you, you blew apart. So um, well, and
1: increasing, uh, reducing inflammation in the lymphatics. Sure. Right. So that you can drain the fluid away that you just um, yep. created by beating up this soft tissue.
0: Right. Right. Let's get a couple questions before we go into any of the fun stuff. If you have a wet towel on each foot, do you need to link the two wet towels with a third wet towel? No. Oh, like anastomose
1: I put, them. I put I well, you can, but that means that the patient's legs have to be
0: tight together. close
1: together. I tend to put one wrap around each foot. So you have the red and green one at the neck or the low back, and then you put a black one on one foot and a yellow one on the other foot. Yeah. So the red and green are together up at the neck. Yeah. The black is on one foot and the yellow is on the other foot. I don't like, um, especially for patient, well, almost any patients, the, the abduction involved in tying the feet together make the hips and low back not happy. So that's, you can't put a patient in a, in a position that is uncomfortable. Right. And then restrictive. Yeah. Yeah. And then expect them to get better. So that's, you have to, yeah, no, I don't do that.
0: And those of you who do um, passive active and resisted range of motion with your treatments, they're never staying still anyway. So you'll have one foot on the table, one foot off the table, one foot in a stretch, one foot over here. So um, bind it with a wrap and the other foot's off. So yeah, you don't have to have those two connected. Um, going down here a little bit. So this is outside my scope. So I'm needing help and answering a question. Okay, I have a I have a problem with that first sentence, but okay, I work with a holistic PT who is wanting more info on the machines, um, sp- um, specifically to see if it can help with the patient of hers that she believes has a flipped small intestine.
1: Um, it I don't Denise, I don't know what your scope is, but it's not a it's only outside your scope to treat outside your scope for a PT, what the flip small intestine can happen if the patient has had surgery and where they got in and rearranged the furniture and then didn't put it back the way it belongs. So the small intestine, I've never heard that phrase, Mm. but you want to treat scarring in the small bowel, and mostly what you're talking about is abdominal adhesions. So the, what you tell the holistic PT is, I'm really glad you're thinking that way. You can only buy a machine if you take the course. If you go to Precision Distributing, they do sell bundles that they can take just the pain and injury Module, it's three days, and they can get advice that, that'll treat it's like flip small intestine, whatever that is, but it'll give them an idea. So that's what you tell them, Denise, is that you can, of course, you can buy a machine. Yes, it will help with abdominal adhesions and scar tissue. And you can only buy a machine if you take the course. And this is the website. So then you're off the hook, it's not outside your scope. You're spreading the word.
0: I love it. Um, I want to talk about that in in a second when we go back to some of our questions, but let's finish this up um, really quick. What we have up here. I'm a neuromuscular therapist. Every client I use concussion and Vegas on every visit. Do I need to do the Vegas on every visit?
1: Probably not. You, You depends how often they're seeing you too. Depends on how often they're seeing you. And it depends on, their general health and their life stress. How, how stressed are there? Are they, how's their digestion? How's their immune system? So if the patients you're treating have inflammation everywhere and their x-rays are okay, but their low back pain is out of sight, that means the facets in the low back are way more inflamed than they should be. So you can run the facet protocol, but the vagus nerve is in charge of the immune system and how much inflammation the patient has. So in that case, if what you're treating is low back, so as QLs, whatever on myself I treat the vagus and let the vagus nerve decide how much inflammation your body needs. I don't use 40 and 116 to just knock the inflammation down. Mm -hmm. I treat, I mean, it's included in most of the automated programs, Right. but I turn on the vagus and let the vagus decide how much inflammation the immune system should be creating. That's right. an interesting concept.
0: Yeah. Did you see the, I kind of went, um, I went away there for a minute. I, was, I
1: saw the look on your face and it was like, she does what, yeah. <laughs> does it really work that way? I yeah. think it does.
0: Yeah. I, we were talking about this before. Like I, I had some autoimmune stuff and the only thing I did different this year was treat myself with Vegas and, um, my autoimmune markers are undetectable like everything looks normal right now. Yep. So, um, it never, doesn't work. it never, it never doesn't work. And I think that is, that is the most awful thing you've ever said to us. I'm really sorry. And you're welcome.
1: Yes. It's well, I started, remember last year at the advanced, when I, when I brainstormed through, I took Rob D. Martinez presentation about leptin resistance. Mm-hmm insulin and leptin we have we have a protocol for insulin resistance i'd never even heard of leptin resistance right and it's like hmm okay so i took his presentation and every slide where he talked about where leptin is created why you get leptin resistant and in real time we went through how you build a protocol for leptin resistance Right. So I started running that on myself every night, like even before concussion in Vegas, I get in bed. I put the, the converter on my abdomen and uh, put a heating pad over it because warm up my tummy and then turn off the light and run that every night. My blood sugar, my hemoglobin A1C went from 7.2 to 6.2 and I wake up in the morning with my blood sugar at 93 or 87. And that hasn't happened in 12 years. Wow! And it's like, really now I've lost weight. That helps. But the only other thing I've changed is running insulin and leptin hmm. wow. every night. Hmm. Hmm.
0: And do you think it will last? Do you think this is something that you're going to
1: need to run Oh, for, yeah, I don't mind running it. It's easy. Yeah. Put on the pucks and punch button and go to sleep. How hard is that? And I honestly have too much to do to be a 75 year old type two diabetic. Right. Used, yeah. No. So. Right. I, before, um, before we get too far afield. Yeah. Before we end today, I want to talk about Christmas stuff. Yes. Okay. Okay. Is that on your list? It I okay. Figure just saying. <laughs> we're doing good.
0: We're on track, actually. We're on McMakin' make- time, but we're on track. Um, so, to keep going through just these questions quick before we get into our fun Christmas stuff, she said, I also use 40 and 10, 81
1: and 10, and 124.77. So, got it. Oh, so you treat if you're treating an ehlers Danlos patient. Then yes, you run vagus every single time because every time an Ehlers-Danlos patient stands up, yeah. they create a nerve traction injury in the vagus nerve. So right. yes, with every, if you're using 40 and 10, 81 and 10, and 124 and 77, that's an Ehlers-Danlos patient and you do treat the vagus every single time. Right. So that was easy.
0: Yeah. Um, the follow-up question was, so when I release scar tissue, should I run
1: stop bleeding? Yep. We finish especially um, abdominal adhesions. And even when we do that shoulder supine shoulder practicum in the core, that always ends with 18 and 62, just in case.
0: Right. I'll admit, I don't always run it. Um, My hands are like a Jedi. So I'm very careful these days, but when you are rushed or when something releases, you're just like, whoops, um, (laughs) that's a good one to run. And it doesn't take long to just do a drive-by on it just as a precautionary sort of like, like I said, it's like your little um, Roomba coming through and just like, and then you're like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. So. um, I like the drive-by word well you know and when you're doing stuff with the tmj because that retrodiscal tissue is bleeds so easily so some tissue bleeds very fast so the retrodiscal tissue with um behind the disc when you're treating tmj 18 runs all the time in my tmj protocol um that's a huge one because the minute that bleeds then that inflammatory process starts back up again that patient's never getting better
1: yeah that makes sense
0: yeah Um, okay. I think that was all. Oh no. Yes. Good. Okay. I get to go to some of the fun stuff.
1: So I have, I have
0: a little, um, I had asked you about some Christmas wishes on the last podcast that you had. Um, so I would like to know what your wish would be for, um, future FSM patients what your wish is to tell them or to educate them because we've seen a huge shift in our, um, listener base in the last couple months. So we have a lot of patients listening right now. They're finding us. I've had four patients this month find me, um, because of listening to the podcast
1: way. That's so cool.
0: Yeah. Um, so we're really between the resonance effect that you had written. If anybody hasn't listened to or read the resonance effect, please, there's, it reads like a novel with the, with the, with the, um, with the meat and potatoes of a textbook. So that gives you a lot of background, but I'd like for you to talk about kind of the shift that we're seeing with patients that we're treating right now.
1: That's, there's a sign that's going up in the new clinic. There's actually two of them. And the graphics, we may actually put it up on the website. There's a, a blue wavy sort of background. And then the words are, there is hope here. Hmm. And that goes in my waiting room and it goes in the hallway between the treatment corridor and right outside the gym. There is hope here. It's not a promise. It's not a slam dunk, but there's hope here. And what I tell people when I talk to them about FSM, nerve pain is the easiest thing we treat. And they look at me like, excuse me? No, really. And fibromyalgia from spine trauma and thalamic stroke pain and this diabetic neuropathy, that's. Like that's ridiculously easy. And he just looks at me like I've got two heads. And so there's hope here. The frequencies, talking about current you can't feel and frequencies you can't hear is just a lot to get your head around. Mm -hmm. But to talk about what we've published Nerve pain, nerve scarring, delayed onset muscle soreness, PTSD, fibromyalgia. Just what's published is extraordinary. And we only have 12 papers. Right. Right. There's hope here because the things that are the most difficult to treat in medicine are the ones that we have the most success with brain injuries traumatic brain injuries vestibular injuries mm-hmm. some of the hope that we provide because christmas is the season of hope mm-hmm. and the return of light and rebirth and birth and all of that there is hope here and that's that's easier then explaining how it is that frequencies resonate with the receptors on the outside of the cell and change what the cell does and reduces inflammation. And then the current actually increases energy. They don't want to hear that. Right. They want to hear, we have pretty good luck with nerve pain. Mm-hmm. I've been in pain for so many years and gabapentin doesn't work. It's like, yeah, I know. I've been there. I, nothing you have scares me. Right. And they look at you like, excuse me? Yeah, no, it's okay. Also yep. yep. abdominal adhesions. Yep. IBS, uh, not that hard. Gastroparesis. Hmm. It's like Ehlers-Danlos is the one. It's like, I swear to God, we will get a study published on Ehlers-Danlos at some point because I'll I'll put out a, I haven't figured out how I'm going to do it, but there's hope here. That's. I love that. That's that's my Christmas wish. And the important thing is that every practitioner listing needs to recognize that they, each one of them, at whatever stage of development they are, the newbies to the experienced ones, that they are my wish for the future of FSM. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I mean, at some point I'm going to go away and then it's up to you guys. And that's, there's a, there's a song I ran across in my list of songs and it's called you lift me up. Have you ever heard that by Joshua? Yeah. And I listened to that and I just, you know, there's just tears because I started FSM, but y'all need to realize that if i was the only one that could do it it would be meaningless and that the fsm community like when i get tired and when i get discouraged or overwhelmed or whatever all of the practitioners we now have four thousand practitioners in 23 countries not all of them or but all in but that's a lot it's a lot and that uplift is what gets me to walk on water. It's, it's, it's you guys. So you lift me up and there is hope oh. here.
0: Oh, I love that. Um, I was going to ask you my, my follow-up question to that was, do you have, again, it's the season of miracles. Do you have a favorite? There's been so many miracles that you've been a part of, do you have one that stands out in your head as one of your favorite cases that was, Oh, I know there's so many for you.
1: Well, besides Terrell Owens, I mean, that's, that's an obvious miracle, but the, the one that stands out is actually in the book. And it was, Oh, her name falls out of my brain, but she arrived. She was sent from Idaho by a pain physician in Boise that had heard of me. And she she had an auto accident three years before. She had a bone bruise on the tibial plateau. The cast was too tight. So she developed CRPS or RSD in her, I think it was a right knee. And she had fibromyalgia from spine trauma. So not only did she have the horrible RSD pain in her leg, she had full body pain. So she arrived on Monday with two incurable conditions. And this was 2000, maybe. And it's right after I started teaching FSM. And I was so paranoid about screwing it up it doesn't take much to get something this novel discredited ups is here the dogs have an opinion I was gonna
0: say, it's your dog barking this time not yes. mine
1: two dogs <laughs> so i was like don't screw up don't screw up don't screw up and then she walks in on monday the crps is gone she treated three hours, Monday, Tuesday. So the CRPS was gone on Wednesday. The full body pain, the fibromyalgia was gone on Friday. That was, was done. And I told her, go. she's staying in her parents' mo, mo, motor home, or motor home, I think. And I said, go back, swim in the pool, take it easy, rest, and we'll go back to work on Monday. Well, she was taking opiates. For the pain. She spent the weekend withdrawing from opiates, cold, thrown up, sweaty, all of that withdrawal stuff. She said, I didn't take them because I didn't have any pain and I was done. I didn't want to be on them. It's like, okay, fine. And she had a spinal cord stimulant, so she turned that off. So she arrived Monday with no body pain, no CRPS. And she had two facets in her lumbar spine that were hot. I called my injection specialist on Monday. He could work her in on Friday. Her husband flew over on Thursday. She spent the week in physical therapy, treating the facets, treating the muscles, running concussion that was before i knew about the vegas she got injected on friday hit the two hot facets she came in monday completely pain free normal sensory exam normal reflexes no pain and she still had her pump in but her stimulated in but just had it turned off. So that Monday, it's two weeks from start to finish two completely incurable conditions with no palliative care that was working. And she was done. That was in, let's say, 99, 2000, 2001, whenever that was. And at that moment, I decided or realize that everything I'd gone through coming up to go to chiropractic college, being in practice, starting FSM, learning to do this stuff, teaching the few students I'd taught, it was all, I was done. If that was the last thing I did on this planet, I'm even it's that was, that's when I was able to exhale because after that, everything after that's gravy right so yeah that's my that's my favorite miracle and then every day the emails i get from practitioners Mm -hmm. i treated my 82 year old grandmother after her hip surgery and she didn't bruise and she's all better now i mean they come in every day now
0: right I know when I was writing this list, I was like, she's never going to be able to think of just one because there's so many to draw upon. And what a what an amazing problem to have is when there's just too many to choose from. I was selfishly thinking myself, like, well, what would have mine been? I've treated so many professional athletes and I would have you would think that those would have taught my list, the ones that said they were out for three months and we had them back in three days. But those weren't like, that was
1: crazy, <laughs> <Duh>. <laughs>
0: crazy, but, it, you know, and I speak about this lady who in the sports course is when it was one of the first times I, I had called you in this panic, like, is there such thing as a phantom gallbladder? <laughs> because it was the woman that had her gallbladder removed, who had the sensitivity to the surgical clips that created these abdominal adhesions that caused her low back pain and the referral down her leg. And when I figured that out and the pain was gone,
1: it was like, face.
0: but that, that was my moment in the clinic. Like I just did that. Like, I don't, I can't do stuff like that, but I just did that. And the same thing, the patient, she, she had a walker. She had paid cash for physio, physical therapy, two times a week for a year, cash out of pocket. And I had her better because I saw her twice a week for four to six weeks. And on treatment number three, I finally realized it wasn't the muscle because
1: it's it's never the muscle. muscle.
0: (laughs) But tell that to a manual therapist. Um, And, and yeah, that was, you can never, the other favorite thing that we say is you can never not see it. So once it happens one time and it's not supposed to happen, it's, 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 that's the game changer, right? It's, it's, it's over after that.
1: (laughs) It's like, that's the, the chapter in the resonance effect believe what you see, not what you expect to see. The name of the chapter is believe what you see. Once you see it, if you're smart, you can't ever not see it. And the other version of that is you can't throw out the data because it doesn't match your model. Yeah. So manual therapists, having this conversation with John Sharkey and Jay Shaw is really exciting because they are committed to a model that says it's the muscle and the fascia. Yeah. And what's our data? Well, I don't know, maybe three, 4 million patients who aren't in pain anymore. Right. Think about when you, when you have 4,000 practitioners and let's say 2,000 of them are good, but each one of those 2,000 practitioners sees six or eight patients a day. So eight times 2,000 is 16,000 a day times five days a week. And you do the math about what our practitioners do in a year. That changes the world. Right. Not just patients' lives, but each patient that has hope each patient that finds relief each patient that's nicer because they aren't in pain i don't know about anybody else when my pain level gets to a seven i'm pretty cranky short fuse right my pain levels of three it's like yeah whatever so yeah
0: I, i love that I'm going to switch gears really quickly okay. before we, we end. I want to do a fun oh, speed not. round. No, I know. I know. We have a few minutes still. Okay. minutes. All just... right. Go. So I have a Christmas this or that list. Okay. So I'm going to give you two things and you're just going to pick. So I'll say star or angel. What goes on the top of your tree?
1: I think we put a star on top of the tree, but I have Angels on the mantle and on the end tables. And actually up in the corner in the back of the room, you probably can't see him. It's not a real angel, but you know, it's kind of there.
0: We have a star on our tree, but this year we have a mask, (laughs) a mask, like a paper surgical mask. No, we're masking. Oh, on the, Uh, well, it's funny because we, we picked up a real tree this year And um, it it was my husband's mask. It got caught on it as we were hauling it in the house. And I just left it on the tree because I'm like, this is
1: funny. You could put the mask on the angel. (laughs) You put an angel on the top of the tree and you put a mask on the angel. We could do that.
0: Okay. Um, Eggnog or hot cocoa? Oh,
1: hot,
0: hot cocoa. I'm an eggnog girl. Okay. Candy cane or chocolates?
1: Oh, chocolates. (laughs) Definitely. David David Suzuki, who who makes the custom care and precision care, every year he sends a Christmas package. And what with me and my blood sugar, I take one of the, and he sends boxes of France chocolates. Mm. And so I take one little bonbon and I slice it into four pieces and I get one at night. (laughs) So good. So, yeah, totally into chocolates. Okay. How about you?
0: Uh, chocolate all the way. Just duh. duh. Christmas Day or Christmas Eve?
1: Christmas Day. Christmas Day. Although Christmas when your kids get over, older, you have to get used to it being Christmas Eve because they spend Christmas Day with their families that they have created. Right. But on Christmas day, we used to get up and the kids would do stockings. And then I would start making cookies. So oatmeal, butterscotch chip, walnut, cookies. Hmm. And I'd make four to six dozen. And Powell's Books is a Portland tradition. It's a, a bookstore that's a city block. And there's about 50 people that work there on Christmas Day. It's open Christmas Day. So the kids got to go and pick books up. And mm-hmm. we would deliver at noon-ish. So you put the turkey in and then you go down to Powell's. You deliver the cookies. And you that's the gift for the people that work at Powell's Books. Aww. And then we got oatmeal butterscotch chip and walnut cookies you take a chocolate chip recipe and you put in walnuts and you substitute butterscotch chips for chocolate Ooh, a religious experience yum and it taught the kids that christmas is not just about what you got under the tree it's about you get what you give Mm -hmm. so giving to random strangers really surprised them. And that was my favorite part about Christmas day. I think that's
0: so nice. I love that. That's a great tradition. And like you said, just really good messages for kids about how good it feels to give. Right. And, um, we're a Christmas Eve, um, family we've always just even when I was little our family European so Christmas Eve is like the big day you do your big meal oh, really? you, yeah the gifts come out after dinner on Christmas Eve Christmas morning it's just like whatever Santa brings and that usually wasn't much it was like your big presents came from from parents oh, my yeah. husband's family it's the opposite like they're big Christmas day people Um, And then this year I was unwilling to compromise the meal. So I'm making a big Canadian German meal on Christmas Eve, and I'm going to do the Italian meal on Christmas day. So everybody's eating and everybody's happy.
1: And what's the Italian meal on Christmas Eve? So
0: that Christmas day is the Italian meal. So they have a tradition where they have a tortellini and broth as their starter. They're, Yes, it's not as good as my husband's Nona's, but it's, I'm getting there. Every I'm getting year there. I'm getting closer. <laughs> um, then we're making veal scallopini and risotto with um, zucchini. Ooh, yum. And then we'll just have cookies for like dessert.
1: How long exactly does it take to drive from Portland to Lobeck? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> we'll have lots of
0: leftovers. That's and all then I what's know.
1: the German one?
0: Um, ham. It's usually oh. ham or meatballs. So I have a big um, spiral ham that I ordered from Butcher Box. Thank you, Butcher Box, um, and mashed potatoes and roasted carrots and um, and cake, chocolate cake. And then you go and run what? Half a marathon. (laughs) Half
1: a marathon
0: to work it off. (laughs) 13 miles right after dinner to make room for the next day's food.
1: That's so cool.
0: My favorite thing about Christmas is the food. And you know, I I had a psychologist as a patient this week, and she was talking about how we should never identify feelings and emotions in food together. And I'm like, You are clearly not European because emotion and and food go hand in hand. Like to me, that's that's what the holiday is, is is cooking and cooking together. I don't know.
1: It might be a genetic thing. It's possible. She has, she might be British and right, but Italians and Germans, it's, it's food. Yeah.
0: Food is happiness. So um, I'm looking forward to that tradition. Um, and I think that almost wraps up our, our Christmas
1: um, wow. podcast today. What a gift. That's that. Christmas being a time of return of the light, and let every world's religion, including the pagans, have a holiday. That's why the Christians picked December 25th as the birth of Christ. It's not like Jesus was actually born on December 25th, there was nobody there, and the New Testament was written 200 years after he died. So the solstice is on the 21st, and so they picked the 25th because it, it gave the Christians something to do while the pagans were having a good time. And the same thing with Hanukkah. It's every major world religion has a holiday at this time of year. So whatever your religious tradition is, if you think about why it is that all of these holidays are are placed at this time of year, just because the sun turns around and the days are longer and winter, winter's is on its way out, hope and the new year are on their way in. And that's the, that's the gift is hope. So I, that's
0: what a beautiful way to end our Christmas podcast. That is the gift that we are giving the gift of hope every day. We are so lucky to do what we do. And patients are so lucky to have all the practitioners that they have to, to facilitate that.
1: Yeah. And practitioners have the hope of being able to help people that walk in the door when prior to taking fsm they wouldn't have any idea of even how to begin to approach it yeah so it's hope all around love it thank you so much you just i just love doing this with you
0: so do i honestly i hope it shows too like i hope i think people are having fun listening and watching and um i know we are so
1: well and it's it's i i don't want to hurt anybody's feelings but this is sort of like. The, when I do the course in Italy, I really don't care if anybody comes. <laughs> I get to go to Italy, right? And if people show up, I'll take the course. And if nobody shows up, it's like, oops, I'll just read through my slides and then go sit by the pool and have a glass of wine. Thank <laughs> you very much. <laughs> so I would enjoy the podcast, even if there weren't hundreds of people listening. I firmly agree. Even more, right? Yes, that
0: we're helping people along the way. Okay. Now we so, to go. We do have to go. Okay, fine. Have a very Merry Christmas, everybody listening and watching. And we will see you next Wednesday. When it's New
1: Year's. Not yet. And she'll have a whole new list of New Year's questions. I guarantee you.
0: The New Year's questions are almost complete. You know, I'm always one step ahead. So we'll have a closing off the year podcast next week. So. make a plan. Bye. See you all then. Bye. Joy. Merry Christmas.
1: Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not
0: medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations.